This is lots. It's, uh, I think it reached nearly uh, 70 today, which is really encouraging. And uh, because we like unity, because we like unity so much, um, clearly, we just, we just love unity right up here. I like the hugs. Uh, I want to separate us into two groups tonight. Is that cool? So two groups of people. Um, and I want you to be honest with yourself here uh, as we separate. Uh, listen, uh, discern, think through this here as we're kind of going through these groups of people so you have a chance to properly discern. Uh, this first group of people, uh, I'm just going to call you by this and don't take this negatively at all. Uh, you're the organized people, okay? Um, you, you're, you're the people that uh, have a calendar, right? And, and, and like, but, but like meticulously, you know, like today at 2.55, I will do this, right? And then after it's done, like, and so you're the people that if you're around 30, you had a trapper keeper back in the day. Remember those? Weren't those amazing inventions? Where did they go? Bring them back, please, right? You're, you're the people that your trapper keeper was like perfectly organized. You're the people that even though in high school you shared a locker with someone, everything was meticulous, you even dusted the thing daily. Uh, you're, you're the kind of person that like everything for you, it just needs to line up. You're the kind of person that knows exactly when your shows come on and you set your DVR like a month and a half in advance. That's you, okay? You're the organized people. And, and I, I respect you. I, I appreciate you so much. I'm not you, but I'm grateful there are some of you, okay? Uh, without some of you, this world would be a horrible place. So I, I, I praise God. But before you recognize yourself as that, uh, let's talk about the other category of people. Uh, uh, this category of people I'm calling the fly by the seat of your pants category, right? Like, um, uh, for you, um, if you look at your computer desktop, you, you haven't even learned yet that there's actual, actual files that you can save places in, right? Your, your desktop literally is the saving place of every single file that you have, right? The, the thought of a calendar, you're not even sure what that is, right? You're like, a calendar, man, like I just go by the sun and the moon, man, you know? I don't even know what day it is, right? Uh, uh, for you, your, uh, your closet is a complete wreck, all right, for most of you. I mean, there's no coordination, there's no organization, that's just who you are. You're the kind of people um, that, you're the kind of people that make organized people angry. That's who you are, you know? You get those two kinds of people in a meeting together, and the organized people are looking at you saying, repent and be saved, you know what I'm saying? Like, like that's, that's what kind of people you are. Now, I know that oh, you have, may have tendencies of both, but I want you to pick one tonight, okay? So we're going to just confess this to each other. By raise of hand, how many of you feel like, and by the way, before I even say this, the organized, you've already listed out the ten reasons why you're organized. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> like, you're looking at the piece of paper that you've already written out in the last 30 seconds. Oh, I'm organized, and here's why. Boom, 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 right? So all of the organized people, just raise your hand for me. Who is that? Wow. Quite a few. Yes. Quite a few. I'm going to take, take a quick gander and say 37%, all right? 37% or so, it seemed to... Uh, so how about, and, and again, uh, for this next group that I'm about to ask, I know you haven't been paying attention, but try right now, okay? Like, you haven't heard a word I've said, okay? Which, which is fine. So for those of you that didn't raise your hand, how many of you guys are fly by the seat of your pants kind of people, right? Yes, there you are, proud, excited, yeah, yeah. Um, now, here, here's my quandary, here's my quandary, okay? Um, I think often that what happens and we're going to test this theory tonight, is I think that our personality begins to really affect, like the way that we live, the rhythm, the pattern that we exist in, 
really begins to affect our walk and relationship with the Lord Jesus. Now, uh, I've separated us into these two categories to get us in specifically to verse 1 here tonight. But my challenge of us tonight is our, is our personality must not drive our relationship with Christ. Rather, His character, who He is, His person, must be the thing that drives every piece of us. I'll explain more here in a moment. If you have your Bibles, open to Hebrews chapter 3. The page number is on your screen if you're uh, using our pew Bibles. If you guys enjoyed Hebrews so far? It's been an unbelievable journey. You remember, uh, Hebrews primarily is written to Jewish Christians... It's written at a very, and bless you, it's written at a very important time in the church. And so far with the writer here, which we don't know who it is outside of the Holy Spirit, the writer has done a couple different things. He's talked about the fact that Jesus is more supreme, has more power than angels. Now this is an important concept for the Jews because they were reaching out for something to make mediation Or something to connect themselves and God. And so angels, because they were in the cosmos, became this natural answer for them. But what the writer here says, no, 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 you're missing it. Jesus is greater. Jesus is better. And then in chapter 2, what we saw the writer do is flesh this theory out by pointing to the things specifically that Christ has done. He came, he took on flesh and blood so that he could relate, that he could help us. He lived sinlessly. On the cross, He took on the wrath of God for our sin, the penalty that had to be paid. And as we saw last week, He conquered death by death. He died, looking Satan's biggest weapon in the face, and then rose again, and we stand in victory. Amen? And so that's the picture that we've been been getting in Hebrews so far. Now tonight... The writer takes a deeper look at a huge issue for Jewish Christians. So Hebrews chapter 3, I want to read the first six verses for us, and then we're going to cannonball right in. Here we go, chapter 3, verse 1. Therefore, holy brothers, you who share in a heavenly calling, consider Jesus, the apostle and high priest of our confession, who was faithful to him who appointed him, just as Moses also was faithful in all God's house. Verse 3. For Jesus has been counted worthy of more glory than Moses, as much more glory as the builder of a house has more honor than the house itself. For every house is built by someone, but the builder of all things is what? Is God. Verse 5. Now Moses was faithful in all God's house as a servant to testify to the things that were to be spoken later, but Christ is faithful over God's house as a son And we are his house if indeed we hold fast our confidence and our boasting in our hope. Now, six verses, a lot to get through. And if you're just joining us, here's our approach. We desire to teach the word of God in a way that is primarily not self-help. Where we just put the scriptures up here and instantly ask, all right, so how does this apply to us? Rather, we want to teach the word of God verse by verse and even at times word by word. So that we can get wrapped up in the beauty of the scripture and not the mouth of a man. You see what I'm saying? And so if you're just joining us, this is going to be our approach. One by one, we're going to put these verses up here and just wrestle with them together. And so, shall we wrestle? That would be a time you say we shall, right? Here we go. Verse 1. Therefore, holy brothers, you who shared a heavenly calling... 
consider Jesus the apostle and high priest of our confession. Uh, well, um, the word therefore is huge in any grammatical context because it instantly connects all of the things previous with the things to come. And so the word therefore in this moment says all of the doctrine that we've been building about the Lord Jesus, we're about to make some more statements that are incredibly important. So much so that he calls the readers holy brothers. If you've been joining us, you've realized how significant this term brothers is. Jesus never calls the disciples brothers. He always calls them pupils, followers. And then after his resurrection, after he conquers death, and raises out of the tomb, he calls his disciples for the first time brothers. Because something has changed. Jesus, as Savior and Lord, has now unified as King with man to God. Does that make sense? Making Jesus a brother. Still a king, still a Savior, but somehow through his relation with us, a brother, which is encouraging. Amen? But not just brother, he calls us holy. Purified, sanctified, set apart, not of this world, therefore holy brothers. And look what he says here next. Unbelievable. You who share in a heavenly calling. Now he's bringing attention to something extremely specific here. Uh, For for someone who's in Judaism or a Jew, okay? All of their world, all of their concept, all of their life is this world, okay? The law comes, And so their life is follow the law, live in this world following the law. I live under the law. Everything is this world, flesh, what I can see, what I know to be true, right? But he makes a clear distinction here. No, 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 you have to understand, we're not talking about earthly things anymore. There's a heavenly, a higher calling, and that's what we're talking about, and that's what we're focusing on. Therefore, holy brothers, you who share in a heavenly calling And probably two of my favorite words in Hebrew so far. Consider Jesus. Now, uh, this is the only time in the scripture that this word consider is used in this way. Here's what it means. It it doesn't mean, um, okay, give me a second and ponder. It doesn't mean like, I know you're busy over here, but come and just spend a few moments here. What consider means is this, is all, every, all of my attention, every piece of my mind, another writer says, fix your eyes, consider Jesus, is this all-encompassing, bring all attention, all focus on Christ. Now, I want to flesh this out, but I want to say before I do that, I feel like some of you tonight, if you don't hear any other two words... For some of you tonight, the very thing you need to hear more than anything else is consider Jesus. Stop considering yourself so much. Stop considering your problems so much, even as Matt talked about. Stop considering the world's issues so much. All of these things that you're considering, that you're fixing your eyes upon, that you're focusing on, why don't you step back and realize that you're called to consider Jesus, to fix your eyes on one thing. Let's uh, test out our theory. You organized folks. Um, I think what you would struggle with, and let me test my theory here, is, um, yeah, like Jesus and I hang out at, at 2 and 4 and 7, and it's written down in my calendar, right? In other words, like you might say, 
yeah, I consider Jesus when it, when it fits. Like you're so rhythmic and patterned in life. And everything has a rhyme and a reason. It has to have a how-to and a when. That I wonder if some of you, who your personality is driven by organization, you would say, yeah, yeah I, I consider Jesus when it fits with my timing. But oh, if the Lord ever comes at a time when I'm not ready, uh, then I'll shut the office door and say, I'm too busy. Uh, Then let's talk about the other folks. The fly by the seat of your pants. You guys are like, whoa, whoa, like me and Jesus, we're just fluid, man. You know what I'm saying? I mean, our our relationship, I mean, it's it's really cool because it, and what you might say is it, it just like happens, you know? I don't have to be considering Jesus. It just it's bad. Like, it just all of a sudden happens. It's super cool. He's cool with it. You know, like, we just, we just work this out together. No matter where you're at in that struggle, no matter whether your personality fits that or doesn't, what I, what I want to say to you is we have to stop letting the perception of our individuality or our personality affect how much we're considering Jesus. These words weren't meant just to be a pin drop in an empty room. This word at this time in Hebrews chapter 3 was meant to say this. We've been building a strong doctrine of who the person of Jesus is, but we haven't even started. Consider Jesus. Do you see? How much have we focused in the first two chapters on Christ? It's like the whole thing. And so what does he say now? We're just getting started. We haven't even started yet considering Jesus. Bring all your attention, all your focus right now. Consider Christ. Now, let me talk about my struggle, can I? I have an obsessive personality. Um, Some of you know this about me well. Uh, The staff knows this well about me. My wife knows this well about me. Um, Whatever it is that I'm obsessed with, I love. I wear the same kind of shoes, and I have for eight years. If I like something... I, I just, I rock it. If you don't wear pumas, I believe you need to repent. But that's just a whole other story. Um, when I like a band, I love them. When I like a particular restaurant, okay, we go to about four restaurants here in St. Charles. Uh, when I like a restaurant, I'm like, I frequent it often, okay? I know everyone there. Like, it just, I have a very obsessive personality. And so for me, my struggle is this. My sin is this. Is that often my obsession is Christ, the things of the Lord, who Jesus is. But what about when he's not? What about when in my struggle and my sin that, that he's kind of like left that piece of, of obsession? I'm just confessing to you. It's in those moments when I need to repent of my personality driving my relationship, you see? I don't care who I am or how I'm built or what my tendencies are or the things that drive me as a person. What the word says is no matter where you find yourself in all these categories, consider Jesus. Focus on Him now. Bring all attention to Him. The Apostle, now this is interesting, nowhere in the New Testament is Jesus ever called the Apostle except here. Apostle means what? Anyone? The sent one, right? To be sent. This uh, terminology is often attached to the disciples. Okay, the early leaders of the church, especially in Acts and the New Testament. But here, Jesus is called apostle. The one sent from God, the messenger from God. Why? Because we're, we're going to begin a comparison between Jesus and another character who we'll meet in verse 2. 
And so to begin this, uh, this comparison, he uses the term apostle to show how Jesus, and I'll explain more here in a second, is the better apostle. Not just that, but he's the high priest. We're going to spend two full chapters in Hebrews talking about how Jesus is our high priest. And last week, we talked about one of the beautiful offices of the high priest is that he helps us in times because he can relate. He's our high priest. But this last word in verse 1, we must spend some time on. The apostle and high priest of what? Of our confession. If there's one thing that Christians struggle with most, it's confession. Now, we're not talking about confession of sin here. We're not talking about confession and repentance. What we're talking about is, speaking of the one whom, and this is the literal Greek here, the one whom you believe owns you. The one whom you believe you're following. That's what confession is. I fear that in this room, so many of you, because of feeling inadequate, that you'd say the wrong thing, you're fearful of shame, who will say what about me? You've literally found yourself mute. You found yourself not speaking, not confessing of the person of Christ. But here's what the writer does. Look at this. Therefore, holy brothers, you share in a heavenly calling, consider Jesus the apostle and high priest of our confession. What does he do? He assumes that his readers are confessing. Could we assume that of us? Could the, re- could the writer of Hebrews write this exact same passage and it be meant for us because he's assuming that we are confessing. I always say that you naturally talk about the things that you love. You naturally talk about the things that you love. And now do you see his point? If you consider Jesus, if your eyes are fixed on him, if he's your focus, if he gets your attention, then what are you going to talk about, my friends? It'll be the things of the Lord. They can't not. So it begins to build this understanding, and then we get to verse 2, and things get interesting. Who was faithful? Jesus was to him, to God, who appointed him, who sent him, just as who? Moses also was faithful in all God's house. Here we go. Who is Moses? Okay? Look, I know many of you have seen Prince of Egypt, okay? Um, and so you're like, oh, I know Moses. You see that, yeah, it's great, great flick, okay? Uh, there are a f- few things I would definitely question on its biblical merit. Uh, but many of you would say, oh, yeah, I know Moses. I've seen that. Uh, a few of you, in its all, just barely color form, remember Charlton Heston and the Ten Commandments? How many of you guys have seen that movie? Just by right. Pretty solid movie. Charlton Heston, like the lowest. And God said, you know I mean? Just a very booming voice. Who is Moses? And, and, you know, let me pause one second and just confess something. There's the one thing about Prince of Egypt that just bothers me is the way that Pharaoh's wife says Moses. Do you guys remember? She, she's always like, Moses. I'm like, what? Like, over, like, and she says it like 50 times in the movie. Moses. I'm like, look, we all know it's in English. Like, so just, look, Moses, just say the word. You know what I'm saying? Moses. I, I like, I get weirded out just hearing it now, all right? I let alone my kids saying it. Moses, you know, anyway. Sorry. So who's Moses? Moses, right? Okay. Listen to this. We're going to use one word to describe who this man is. Okay? As a baby, the Israelites were growing in number. And they're growing in number so much so that the Pharaoh decides that the Israelites are eventually going to take over the Egyptians. And so what does Pharaoh do? 
he says that we must kill every boy. We're going to save the, save the females, but we're going to kill every boy. Well, Moses is born, and after three months, the scripture says, like, he can't be hidden anymore. Can you imagine being a mom and putting your son in a little basket, the scripture says, and pushing him down the river? It seems heinous almost, but the reality is, is this was her best shot. If the Egyptians found out about Moses, he would have been instantly killed. So to put him in a basket at least gives him a chance. Well, Moses' sister follows the basket along. And guess who the basket runs into, my friends? Pharaoh's daughter. Well, she looks at the probably crying baby and she's like, I don't think so. But guess who's waiting in the wings? Moses' sister. Moses' sister tells a Pharaoh's daughter, hey, 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 here's the cool thing. You want me to help nurse this child? Until he's like becomes of age. And Pharaoh's uh, daughter says, well, yeah, that sounds like a good plan. And so guess what? Because of her faith, Moses' mother ends up raising Moses until he becomes of age. Moses, as a young child, is, and this is the word we're going to use to describe him, he's delivered. Sent down a river, thought potentially dead, but nope, God rescues him. And then guess what? After years and years and years of slavery... God in a burning bush in in Exodus 3, picture that, okay? God speaking in a burning bush, tells Moses, listen, it is time that I go down and deliver my people. And Moses is like, sounds like a great plan. What am I here for, right? Like, I'm a shepherd, okay? I'll get back. And and God says, I'm going to use you, Moses, to deliver my people. And do you guys remember what Moses says? Who am I? Who am I that you would use me? Like, and who am I to tell them who you are? It's this crazy conversation. But as Exodus goes along, and after the tenth plague of killing the firstborn of the Egyptians, Pharaoh finally says, your people can go. God delivers his people using Moses as an apostle, as a sent one, as a messenger, right? And then, my friends, finally... All the way up until this beautiful picture of the Red Sea. And after the uh, Israelites come through it, God gives the law. He delivers him as a baby. He delivers God's people using Moses. And then God delivers the law through his agent Moses. Sends the law, uses Moses. And we need to understand this before we make this biblical comparison. The Jews love the man. Okay? There is no contemporary comparison that we can make to properly put uh, put an analogy on how much the Jews loved Moses. There is no one in our context or our culture that is universally loved like Moses. Someone would say, what about Mother Teresa? She was nice. If you do some research, some Google research, you'll find hate websites on Mother Teresa. You're like, what? Are you serious? Yes. Look it up, right? It's crazy stuff. But the Jews loved Moses. I mean, for for them, for the Jews, for the whole nation, he was the picture of what? Of what? Deliverance. Every piece of them, their forefathers, were delivered because of this great leader. And so as we get into this, you need to understand how high the Jews placed Moses. So angels represent mediation, but what if a Jew is struggling with seeing Moses as their deliverer? When the whole picture of Hebrews 1 and 2 is... No, 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 there's another deliverer. You need to let go of the old because that guy just brought you out of slavery from Egypt. 
this guy brings you out of slavery from sin. But they were struggling because they've heard the stories and they knew the legacy. And so Moses is put up against Jesus, who was faithful to him who appointed him, just as Moses also was faithful in all of God's, what's the word? House. Now let's explain this a little bit. What does this mean? Now to a Jew, if you hear God's house, what do you instantly think of? What do you instantly think of as a Jew? The temple. The temple, the temple mount. I've been to Israel. Beautiful scene, right? This humongous uh, piece of property that has been toppled and rebuilt several times. For a Jew, you're thinking of the house that is called the temple. But that's not what is meant here. It's not what is implied. It's not what the scripture is talking about. It's talking about the people of God. God's people. Moses was faithful as a person of God in God's house, his people. That's why when the Holy Spirit, listen, when the Holy Spirit comes down and comes in believers, all of a sudden that picture of the temple now resides in you. We become the body of Christ. We become the house of God. That's why First Peter 2 says that there's living stones being built to make a spiritual house with Christ as the what? As the cornerstone. Okay? So, you ready? Jesus versus Moses. Mon- Moses, mano y mano. Alright? Here we go. Verse 3. Verse 3. For Jesus has been counted worthy of more glory than Moses... As much more glory as the builder of a house has more honor than the house itself. Okay, so the writer, just in case you're not getting his comparison, just jumps right into it. Jesus is worth more glory. How do you guys like Cake Boss? Any Cake Boss fans? Doesn't that show just want to make you gorge, you know? If I could just eat one thing for the rest of my life, it would be a cake, right? The thing I love about Cake Boss is not just the originality but it's the main character whose name is? His name is Buddy, right? So if you haven't seen the show and you live in a cave and you don't have TV, here's the reality, all right? Buddy builds these crazy cakes and often for celebrities. Now listen, and when Buddy delivers the cake, here's what I've noticed about the show. He's a fourth generation baker. Is it's more about Buddy, his celebrity, who he is, his persona, than it even is about the cake. The cake is just a nice piece. But if they can get Buddy, if they can talk to Buddy, then all of a sudden they've, they've won. It's the same kind of imagery that we see here. There's a house that's built, and so what receives more glory? A person who's simply in the house, or the person who built it, or the person who made it. You see, for Buddy, like, he brings the cakes. He makes the cakes. And so when he comes, they're like, dude, like, you're the best cake maker ever. And in these moments, we see the picture of Jesus, not as a person just in the house, but as the maker. If you're struggling, holding on to the old deliverer from slavery in Egypt, you need to understand that the new one made Moses. In fact, when Moses was on the river, guess who delivered Moses? It was God, and God is Father, and God is Son, and God is Spirit. Do you see it? This beautiful picture of Christ as the maker of the house. So he's worthy of more glory, like verse 4 says. For every house is built by someone, but the builder of all things is God. And so if for one moment 
you're struggling letting go of the old, you must understand this. Moses is just verse 5. Look at this. Now Moses was faithful in all God's house as a what? Come on. As a servant. Moses is a servant. Over and over in the scripture, we see powerful images of what it means to serve a particular master. And here's what the Bible is clear about. The master speaks and the servant listens and the servant goes and the servant does. Moses is just a servant of God. A great one at that, but just a servant. And his whole purpose is to do what? To testify to the things that were to be spoken later. Moses comes as an agent, as a messenger, as an ambassador. And his whole intention is to testify to the things that would be coming later. Look, here's the law written on tablets, but you need to understand, there's going to be a whole other one that comes and he's going to fulfill the law, as Jesus said of himself. That's the truest picture of Moses, just a servant. So, if you're, comparis- if you're making a, a comparison between Moses and Jesus, Jesus made Moses, point for Jesus, okay? And, and Moses is just a what? It's just a servant. But what is Jesus? Verse 6. But Christ is faithful over God's house as a son. Moses is a servant. Moses is counted as less worthy than Jesus. Moses is not a high priest like Jesus was. He is an apostle. But Jesus is a son. And because Jesus is a son, and because the son holds inheritance to the house in a different way than the servant does, Jesus, listen you Jewish Christian, is greater. His deliverance more powerful. His impact deeper than this Old Testament man that you love and endear. Jesus is greater. And look what he says here, I love this. And we, the church, are his house if indeed we hold fast our confidence and our boasting in our hope. We reveal that we believe in this by boasting in confidence and hope. Now, there's a whole bunch of puzzle pieces left out there for us. Why this, why now? Well, the obvious is that the Jews would be struggling with Moses. But listen, why build this text around confession? He said it in verse 1, confess, proclaim, talk about. And look how he ends verse 6. We hold fast our confidence and our boasting in our hope. This whole discussion of Jesus and Moses is bookended by a discussion of confession. Why? Because in this portrayal, you see your identity. And it's beautiful. And if you can just get a glimpse of it, the chance for transformation in your identity is complete. You are 
in Christ, both a servant and a son. What Moses was in a servant, you have through Christ. What Jesus is in a son, you have through Christ. You are both a servant and a son. A son, an heir, a servant to the deliverer. And a son because of the deliverer. You are both of those. And so what's the picture that you start to get? If you claim your identity as both a servant and a son, then why would you ever cower in testifying and confessing about the Lord? If the whole picture of your identity was completely changed, if somehow you had worth because of the grace of Christ and could become a servant to the Most High God and also a son, why would you ever cower? Why would the mouth ever be muted? Why would you ever shrink back? The picture of being a servant is this. We humbly serve the Master And so in humility, the confession that is constantly on our lips is of the love of God, the message of Christ, the truth of the hope that we have in Him. And so in humility, we boast in hope as a servant. But in confidence, we boast in strength as a son. You see, that's the difference. In humility, I confess as a servant because of hope. But on the flip side, I boast in confidence because I'm a son. And so when I talk about the Father, I have full confidence in what He's done. I don't doubt for a second who He is, what His character encompasses, all of the power that He has, and I do so. In humility and hope, knowing that I'm but a servant and somehow strangely a son. Now, Moses, remember his story, what I talked about earlier? He says, God, you don't understand. Who am I? And you know what God says, and you can read Exodus 3 later? Listen. He says, you will become a servant. You will become a servant. That's who you are. So Moses, though you lack security about how you talk, though you have no idea how you're going to stand up in front of Pharaoh and tell Pharaoh to let hundreds of thousands of people go from slavery, though you struggle with that, I as God will make you a servant. I will empower you. I will make you to be that. Embrace that. And then what happens? Listen. Moses before the Red Sea takes his staff and sticks it in the ground in all faith and watches God, not himself, deliver people. So what about you? When was the last time the confession of Christ could not be held in. It was, as Jeremiah talks about, it was like a fire in your bones. It had to come out. I must confess. I must, but you shrank back. 
because you built up pride about yourself. What about this? But in humility as a servant, you can speak. In confidence as a son, you can speak. And can I sum all this up by Mark 7, 37? Jesus has just healed a man. And you know what the people say of Jesus? The deaf will hear and the mute will speak. And I feel like for some of you tonight, you need to hear this. Consider Jesus. Because when you consider him and you realize your identity as a servant and a son, you can't not talk about him. And so when we converse together, we're talking about things of the Lord. And when we're out in culture, in tremendous love and respect of others, we're talking about the Lord. We don't become Bible beaters. We become hope preachers to a lost and dying world. We have the greatest message there is. But so many of you tonight are like, but I'm inadequate. I'm not worthy. No, you're missing it. You're a servant and a son. You already have the identity. And just like Moses, the mute will speak. He will equip you, he will give you the words, and he must be confessed by his servants. He must. Because when a servant knows the master, as Jesus says in a later verse, the sheep know me. And so, so what do we do tonight? I'm going to ask Brandon to come up just here for a second. And um, it's really impressed on my heart. Um, it's really impressed in my heart that we pray. And I feel like our prayer should be this tonight. And we're just going to sit there in your pew and just have a, a moment, listen, where we ask God to give us a voice. You see? Where we ask God to completely, wholeheartedly just give us a voice. And so for those of you that have been feeling inadequate and ashamed, maybe for you it's like, God, help me understand my identity in you. For others of you, if you've been sharing Christ in pride to make yourself look good, it's God, make make me a humble servant. But listen, the promise to you is this. What Jesus has done by taking the wrath of God makes you a humble servant and a son. So as the lights come down in here, we just take some time like intimately praying. Ask God to give you a voice, a confession. Let's pray that in our own.